One day, when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, cot and all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter among themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded. Why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, we've seen unimaginable things today. This is the word of the Lord. the time. Awesome, awesome. So we are in our second week of our short, very short journey through the series called Wonder, which is an Advent primer because the end of November starts Advent. Advent starts um, the season of Advent uh, where we anticipate, prepare ourselves and wait for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, on the church calendar in our hearts, in our homes, in the church. And so I thought we'd do a, you know, a pre-funk, a pre-party to that and uh, do a, like a wonder series just to prepare, super prepare our hearts. Um, because I think, as I mentioned last week, wonder is at the root um, of transformation uh, because we open ourselves to new possibilities um, through wonder. Um, looking at our God with awe, with hands wide open um, to receive the impossible or that which, you know, we don't know would happen, could happen, or will happen. Also, wonder reminds us of our covenant relationship with God because, like, our hearts become childlike in faith and we begin to lean, not on our own competence or, or the things that we can do, but lean into um, our parent, our father, um, who can carry us, who can deliver us, who can save us. And so wonder is at the root of praise and worship. Wonder is at the root of childlike faith. And as Jesus said, let the children come because it's to people like these, like the children, um, belong the kingdom of heaven. Um, you can't enter unless you come with childlike faith. So we are going to talk about wonder and uh, what it means to... Uh, recapture that in our heart because so much time we spent 
spend adulting as adults, right? Adulting or being responsible or being uh, competent or taking care of things, making sure our lives are manageable, um, that we forget um, to look towards to, uh, our imagination, uh, our creativity, and uh, what God can do, or what God is doing among us. Amen? Um, so I... So I'm Asian American, second generation Korean American. Um, if you don't know, I'm, yeah, I was born in Hawaii. <laughs> um, and, you know, some approaches to uh, intercultural kind of studies or relationships use the model of uh, group, group identity, right? If your sense of group identity is high, like Asian cultures, then you're, uh, you're your individual identity is lower uh, in relation to the group identity. Does that make sense? So family, the group, um, the Japanese have a saying like the nail that gets sticks up gets hammered down, right? Don't stick out like a nail, but you know, be uniform. Um, and so in, in cross-cultural studies, you'll see cultures that are more group oriented towards the group or your strength, power, identity comes in the individual. Say the, in the states, we're like, or in the West, we're like strong individualists. That's my prerogative. That's you know, that's my vote. That's my you know decisions. That's my choice. Um, and the, your sense of group identity may be lower. And, and perhaps that's the source of a lot of misunderstanding, you know, in the world or in our even in our in the states here. Um, but I remember growing up and. You know, as I reflect on my parents' life, they were immigrants, came from Korea, and, you know, didn't know the language initially, and were trying to make a way, a better life for themselves and for us, their children, um, get, you know, the U.S. was the best, the best education, the best in, you know, economics, the best government. Um, bring your children here, and they can be, um, have access to the best things, and so, that's why you get that stereotype of like, study hard, right? Asian kids are t told to study hard and tiger moms and tiger dads, you know, succeed, succeed, play the flute, play piano and get straight A's and win the spelling bee, right? Those are like, become a doctor, become a lawyer. Those are like kind of the stereotypical aspirations of, you know, Asian immigrant parents place on, on their children. Um, but in reflecting on our parents, I see the ways that um, they always felt kind of like second-class citizens as immigrants, or you know, like they're in the states, maybe they're American, but you know, they're not American like American Americans, right? Um, and um, and so my mom, if I was being too loud in a restaurant or too loud somewhere and, and speaking my mind, she'd be like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, right? So Americans are listening, right? Like, what if they hear you? So I always, or, you know, I always grew up with the sense of like shame or self-consciousness, like, oh, don't, you know, walk too loudly, don't talk too loudly, don't toot your own horn because, you know, the Americans are watching. And inherent in that is, right? Like, we're strangers in a strange land, or we're not quite, we're visitors, we're not quite 
completely a part of this place. But me, I was different, right? I was born in the States, I was a citizen, my parents weren't citizens, but I was, you know, a natural born citizen. And so, you know, there's the, the, this tension in me, one of like, let's close the blinds, let's not speak too loud, loudly, you know, let's not put ourselves out there, let's not show off, let's not brag, you know, let's not be ambitious. Um, but at the same time, and if for those of you who know the Enneagram, you know, I'm Enneagram 4, which is original, creative, right? Enneagram 4, wing 5. So my personality is, you know, I want to be original. I want to stand out. I want to be different from everyone. I'm an artist. I'm a poet, right? There's pastors, but then there's me, you know? <laughs> uh, so so those, those two things, right? Don't stick up like a nail or else you get pounded down versus I want to stick out, you know? I am, you know, different. I want to be unique. Um, and so those are two streams in me. Um, but, sta but standing out, like not standing out too much, not showing off, there developed in me this kind of false humility, right? Like instead of like, so I, I, I could sit in my corner and judge people who are like tooting their own horn, even like in different leadership corners, like, oh, why are they like saying they can do this, do this, and raising their hands to volunteer and everything? You know, clearly the boss is just gonna see me working hard <laughs> right here quietly, like being faithful, hammering, hammering my things and taking care of business. But I learned very quickly that Actually, it was the loud people, even if they're not, maybe you experience this in your workplace, even if you're, they're not as competent or even if they're kind of like, you know, once in a while, it's the loud people who tend to like get the stuff, right? Like get the promotion or get this or that. Um, and so I had to wrestle with that. And actually in my journey as a leader in ministry, being in a, not in an Asian context, but in a multicultural or predominantly white church or white context, I'd have to be countercultural in stepping forward or sticking my foot in the door or speaking up in order to be seen or in order to advance. Um, I'm pretty sure there's pastors out there who are actually younger than me that still are like, oh, you're so, you're so young, David. Right? I'm like, actually, I'm older than you and I have more experience than you. That's because I just don't give it away all the time, right? I don't say it all the time. Are you with me, church? But then God and the Bible comes in. And I think the Bible has a way and Jesus has a way in discipleship. Not to like crush cultures or it's not like Jesus is representative in one culture. Actually, the myriad of cultures around us are a mosaic, a picture of the fullness of who God is, right? Because we're all made in God's image, not just Americans, not just, you know, whatever, um, are made in God's image. And so, in that truth speaking within uh, my culture or my background, you know, God has said, What's wrong with shining, right? What's wrong with shining if it gives me the glory, right? It's kind of like 
the parable of the person who hid their talent or buried the talent. That was God's discipleship of me, right? If I've given you all these gifts, and trust me, God's given me a lot of gifts. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm tooting my own. <laughs> God's given me a lot of gifts where, I, you know, things come to me easily that may be hard for other people. Blah, 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 blah. But that's because God is good, right? God is to be glorified. And what, what does it do if I hide that under a bushel, right? What does that mean if I hide, uh, bury that because, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of, you know, sticking out or I'm afraid of being embarrassed or embarrassing my people or, you know, being proud or arrogant. And so this, this false humility, you know, God, Jesus has slowly been like, no. And God, you know, used the sect brothers to, uh, you know, Magdiel and Uriel to speak that into me as well. Like, because we used to have this thing like, just shine, shine, right? And, you know, there's that Marion Williamson quote, like, you never serve anyone just hiding yourself, right? And, and being less than other people to protect their, them, right? Just shine. And you shine because God is given the glory, right? The flip, it's the flip side of arrogance, right? False humility. It's the same coin. The other side of arrogance is like, look at me, look at me, I'm doing this, look at me. Look at our great church, look at our everything, you know, boastful, we're the greatest nation on earth, we're the best thing to ever, since sliced bread, blah, 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 this tri triumphalism, this, you know, kind of, you know, ah, 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 we're the best, we're the best, we're the best, that's the flip side, right, of, of not, of kind of not giving God the glory, but because of our insecurity, we're putting ourselves out there um, to get a sense of value. But anyways, you may be asking, what does this have to do uh, with this passage? And if you can just go back to the you know, passage itself. Um, so the Pharisees are hanging out, says they've come from all over and they're sitting nearby. It's interesting, they're just sitting nearby because they're watching, right? They're watching Jesus. They're like, what is this guy going to do? He's so popular with the people. And he's, they're hearing about all this ministry he's doing and healing ministry, right? <coughs> and as a side note, as a side note, how much, when you read the Gospels, how much of the Gospels do we read about Jesus involved in healing ministry? Right? He's healing people. People are swarming to him and he's making the lame walk and he's helping the blind to see, you know, and he's healing the maladies of people's, you know, skin maladies and doing all of these things. And as he's physically healing people, he's actually also restoring their soul, their spirit, right? Renewing their hearts because. With sickness and illness, there's an ostracization um, from community, from the main community, and also, you know, a beaten up sense of self, right? An insecurity. And so there's a restoration of that, but also, you know, you know a restoration in, uh, into uh, one's relationship with God, relationship with who God is and God, that God loves me. Like there's a, you know, mind body and spirit and social 
restoration and renewal once Jesus chooses to touch someone. And so um, that side note is just, you know, I wonder as churches, as Jesus sent out his disciples to minister, he gave them authority of what? To cast out demons, to heal, right? So he calls his disciples to also participate in this healing ministry. Man, there are some broken people in the world. We are broken. Many of us are broken. Like, what does it look like to be a community, a church that participates in Jesus' healing work in the world? Amen? Like, to be a part of healing, that, that's a very powerful powerful ministry um, so they're looking for him to slip up maybe there's a little envy maybe there's a little jealousy and kind of their whole vocation their whole their whole status their whole kind of structure and system is built around laws and rules right and so there's an element where they've lost the spirit of things and it's become rigid for them so anytime something fresh like Jesus comes with authority and power and he's clearly doing good things and the people around him are waking up there. You know, later on we see they, they begin to praise and worship God because of all the wonders that God is doing. They're in awe because they're like, I've gone to the temple all my life. I've gone to church all my life and I still haven't seen anything like Jesus. Right? Why is it so here? Why is it so st stuffy here? And, but Jesus, man, there's power. There's power. And there's joy and there's real transformation. Come on, people. Right? Was it Annie Dillard or someone else who has that amazing quote? Like, if church really reflected what church should be, we are all, I'm summarizing, Come in with helmets on, ready for what the power of God in this place, like, right? In expectation, do we come in expectation? Do we live in expectation that God will do amazing things and will heal and transform? Do we come with wonder and awe and childlike faith that the impossible things will be possible? And that there's another way. That there's another way. And don't get too caught up in holding on to tradition or the things that we know because we're afraid of stepping into the unknown, but that it's power brings power. Amen. Woo. So it's easy to rip on the legal experts and the Pharisees, and I think, you know, pastors do it a lot, and in the church we're like, yeah, yeah, those Pharisees, at least I'm not a Pharisee, right, <laughs> or a legal expert, but, you know, I think we're meant to put ourselves in, in the story, right? How can we, um, maybe unknowingly or, you know, kind of not, not to be like purposeful in that, but we create boundaries and obstacles for people who are coming to worship Jesus.
And so we need to recognize that, just like, like in verse 22, next slide, Jesus recognized. You know, they're saying, who is this who insults God and he can forgive sins? Don't you know I have to like, you know, you have to bring a live offering and like the priest has to like kill it and burn the offering for you to be forgiven of your sins. Like there's a whole process here, right? And so that's what they're feeling. They're like, and just with a word, Jesus is like, oh, your sins are forgiven. What? That's messed up. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, recognize what they were discussing. Why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And I basically interpret this um, by thinking of Marshawn Lynch in the Super Bowl that we won. Uh, was it the Super Bowl we won? He, you know, he had this whole this hilarious like time with the press where he wouldn't answer any questions. He just show up and say, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Or, you know, he just give these quip, you know, responses. And one of his responses is like, I'm all about that action boss. I'm not gonna talk all I'm all about that action boss. So that's basically what Jesus is saying, right? I'm all about that action boss, right? Which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to actually heal this person? Trick question. Like, you're questioning my authority, you're questioning my power, right? Why, how can I just say your sins are forgiven? But then, where does my power and authority come from? I, I can just say to this person, get up and walk, and they walk. What's easier? Can you do that? It's all about that action, boss, and that's my authority comes from the Father in heaven, right? And that's what should matter. Are we giving glory to God? Where does the power in our life come from? Where does healing come from? Where do miracles come from? It comes from our Father in heaven. And our role in this process is like the friends, right? I'm sure it took a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort and like muscle and sweat to break through the roof. Just imagine if like this roof started crumbling and this like cot just started lowered down and people are like, what? What's going on? Oh, uh, Pastor Dave, can you pray for this guy? We just didn't want to go through the front door. We just had to go through the roof, you know? Uh, they couldn't get to Jesus because it was so crowded, but they go outside the box, right? And they put some effort into breaking the, through the ceiling and lowering this person down. They, there's an element of they care for this person. He's our friend and he's been, you know, struggling physically his whole life. So we are desperate. We're going to do anything, any route, right? Their part is huge as friends. They set him before Jesus, but did they heal him? Did they forgive him? Was it through their power that this man could just stand up and walk away when he couldn't walk at all? No. The infinite power, like we put in 100% effort for like, you know, 0.0000001 part of the miracle. 
Does that make sense? But it's actually, it, you know, if we can't do it. We can't do it out of our own effort. We, our effort is involved in God's work, but it's impossible without God's hand and power. You get what I'm saying? And so we argue about, oh, is it faith or works? Is it faith or works? Is it faith or works? Right? Faith is believing in God's power, and that's like fills this whole room, right? Capacity-wise. It fills this whole room, this whole block, this whole city. And then our faith is like, our works is like this little, right? This little mustard seed. So, I don't know. It's not, it, it shouldn't even be a discussion, right? In my eyes. But it, it does. Or, or something we like to say at Renew, or I like to say at least, like, God doesn't need you to do the work, his work, right? If God wanted to, he could raise up the rocks to do the work of the church. If God wanted to, he could raise up children to do the work of the church. God doesn't need you to do it. And yet, God needs you. Like, you matter. When you serve, you matter. Does that make sense? That paradigm makes sense? He doesn't need you to do it as if he's unable to do it on his own. But he invites us into to what he's doing for and so the other par uh, paradox that people who've mentored me have like talked about is it's not about you, right? What God is doing in the world or what God is doing in the church, it's not about you. But then at the same time, as you serve, as you walk with Jesus, it's all about you, right? That as we serve or we follow Jesus or um, we participate, God is... It's, it's all about us, our healing, what he's giving us, what he's doing in our hearts. But in the same way, like, it's not like the song, you know, you're so vain, you probably think this sermon is about you, right? <laughs> this church is about you, this, whatever. Dave's talking to you. It's not, it's not about you in that way. But it's about you in the way it's, that God wants to do something in each of your hearts today. Do you get that paradox? Right? Or what do you call it? Oxymoron? Or when it's this and not that? Paradox. Um, and then the other thing I think about is, if I were this man, how embarrassed I'd be or maybe a, a sense of shame. Like, let us put you through the roof. I'll be like, no, 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 no. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Right? I don't need you. I'm not, right? Don't patronize me or don't treat me like a kid. I don't need your help. Don't put me on the spot like that. I think that would be a lot of our responses because it is, it's a lot of our responses all the time. We don't want to be the weak ones we don't want to be the broken ones. We don't want to be the vulnerable ones. We don't want to be the ones that can't carry our own weight, but our friends have to carry us, right? And that's why it's hard to be open 
in church community. It's hard to be vulnerable in church community, in any community, because there, once you share, you're also like, ooh, did I overshare? <laughs> like, we're worried about that. And people don't. <laughs> Mark's like, you are oversharing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, there is oversharing. Anyways. Um, but in order for, in that day, for people in the end to say, we've seen unimaginable things today. Someone had to be broken. Someone had to be lowered down, right? Someone had to be that person that Jesus heals for people to give him glory and for there to be like a revival in that town. So let us not be too proud or too protective to be the one in the cot being lowered down. Because to God be the glory, amen? When we read the Old Testament, I know growing up in Sunday school, the patriarchs of Israel, right? You learn about the patriarchs. They're so awesome. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, patriarchs, patriarchs, right? Strong people of God, models of the faith, heroes of the faith, right? But the point isn't that they were infallible or such great people. Have you read the Old Testament? That's right. They're dysfunctional, right? The royal family of God is like so dysfunctional and broken. There's all kinds of messed up things that are happening and they're sinful. And the point of the story I feel like is in spite of the fact that they're like, they should be on Jerry Springer, right? In spite of that, God chooses them and God makes a covenant with them and God takes them to the promised land. It's not their greatness that's to be focused on. It's that in spite of their brokenness and being the least of the least of the least, right? Like Gideon, the smallest of the smallest tribe of Israel, um, in spite of that, God is glorified. Amen? God is glorified. I, uh, this morning, I actually saw a video about this high school kid who, he's an athlete. He's like a, he was like a, you know, all-state basketball player, extreme athlete, but he joined the swim team. Right? Because he wanted to try something that he knew he would fail at, that he wasn't good at. Because that's how he wanted to live his life. To step into the unknown, step into things that we're not competent at, is actually, you know, a path towards success. Right? And it's just amazing. And then they interview this same guy later on in college, and he's like, I hate math. I'm so bad at math, but I major. I ended up majoring in math. Yeah. And the little kids are interviewing him. He's like, and one little kid's like, he's so wise. He's like, yeah, 
he's so wise. Even if you read all the leadership books or self-development books, it's like, what do they talk about failure? Do we run away from failure? No, actually, you should face failure. Like when we step into failure or the possibility of failure, we open up, right, the adventure and the journey that helps us to grow or we begin to take risks that they, it hits and like this is born or that's born or this amazing thing. You hear these stories about Michael Jordan wasn't even a starter his sophomore year, right? Albert Einstein failed out of high school, whatever. All of these examples of failure, but these people went on to do amazing things. And I think sometimes we hunker down and we're afraid of failure. We bury the talent. And so we never take risks. We never take a gamble on people, on ourselves. We never put ourselves in a vulnerable position where God can do amazing things through us that we recognize and receive. Amen? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. We are the man and the woman in the cot being lowered down. Be that. (laughs) That's what we are. That's just a, you know, a creative way of saying, you know, we're depraved, right? The depravity of people. Um, in my ministry life, if you can hit the next two slides, go to the pic- first picture. Pastor Maggio did pictures, so I'm going to do pictures because I've just been reflecting on, on our journey. Um, when we first started 10 years ago in Northgate, uh, North Seattle, in the Northgate Community Center, um, it was a bunch of mostly young adults. And uh, so on the left there, um, the guy on the far left with the glasses is Andy Chung. He uh, uh, was going to Seattle School of Theology and he needed an internship. So I offered him an internship, um, and he was kind of like, yeah. And we butt heads all the time, right? He was like, yeah, like, take away the chairs, and let's just set up tables and, like, eat food. And I wasn't ready for that yet because, you know, my coaches were saying, like, you got to, like, gather people in a traditional church setting. And so, uh, why are you trying to be weird, you know? Get your Seattle School of Theology stuff out of here. You know, like, you don't even want to be a pastor, but you're getting an MDiv. What's that about, you know? Um, So he internship, he interned, and I grew, I learned so much from him. You know, I learned about my jealousy, right, and my envy. Like how some of the young adults, especially the guys, really trusted him, and he sat down with them and had coffee with them and had great trust-building discipleship conversations. And even though that helped our church as a whole, it, I was like, why don't they trust me? You know, There's a lot of that, and God worked through that stuff in me. 
right? God used him to be to hold on to the string that was lowering my cot before Jesus. The guy on the right, and he actually is a pastor in Orange County. He's a, a, a qu- teaching equipper, <laughs> weird titles, uh, and, the, and the lead visionary for micro communities in a church plant. So he's, a, I guess there's a mother church and then he's the church planner. Um, so he's doing that. Um, Chris Mitchell, the guy on the far right, was Seattle Pacific University and needed an internship. He did one uh, for a year and then kicked me to the curb and went to Quest. Um, <laughs> so I was like, ah, small church disease. Um, anyways, but like uh, Chris Mitchell, he is now, I mean, you know, my coach was like, who is this guy? He said, are you sure you want him as an intern? He doesn't seem like a like really like out there gregarious person. And uh, now he's the uh, head pastor of First, First Covenant uh, Anchorage, um, in Anchorage. So we see each other in pastor's meetings all the time. But he's biracial, uh, Korean and white, and we'd have all these discussions about, you know, you know how our community was mostly Asian American and how he felt outside of that community. And I'd be like, you know, buck up, deal. But you know, we we grew in that aspect, and I grew in my self awareness. That is Cammy as a baby, <laughs> but also uh, Debbie Montzingo and her husband Daryl. She came over from Shoreline Covenant who sent some leaders to us when we were first starting off. Debbie Monzingo, um, she had applied to a lot of churches and they ended up hiring men. So she was like, even though they kind of, maybe she felt like they would hire her, she was mad and she wanted an opportunity. And I, we sat down and I said, hey, you wanna preach, you can preach. You wanna lead, you can lead, but I can't pay you. And so she was a volunteer associate pastor uh, for Renew. Um, and uh, she's now in Cleveland as a lead pastor of a covenant church. And uh, she taught me a lot. I mean, we fought a lot because stylistically, worship-wise, she wanted, she had one picture, I had another picture, and we'd be like, come on, like, there's a reason why Shoreline Covenant's like old white people, right? Like, and she'd be like, no, tradition, values. So learned a lot from each other. And she was another person who I realized was being patient with me, right? That I was not a finished product as a pastor. In fact, I was pretty young and she was willing to work with me. Part of holding that string and lowering me down. Uh, on the left, that's Claire Strunk. She was, uh, so her and her husband were gonna do a church, uh, covenant church plant in Bothell that, that uh, didn't end up happening. So they kinda, they started to come to Renew just as a place to be renewed and to chill out. And she's a bookkeeper on the side 
So she took charge of our finance team and became a leader. Um, and then I think last year she just got ordained in the Covenant Church and is in Spokane leading in a church. That other guy is Miles, um, who came here uh, as an intern and wanted our endorsement to be a Covenant uh, chaplain. Um, things didn't work out. Um, things were hard. We butted heads. Um, he's a good guy. Um, and he's was a part of Renew, and that's him reading a liturgy for Black History Month. He's in the Navy right now, he's, I think, still in the Navy. Uh, next slide. That's Erica Cox um, at, our, at her uh, seminary graduation. She, was, she came in in Northgate as a worship leader um, that we hired. And, uh, and then ultimately when we came here, she became our associate pastor. Um, and she's currently at, um, working with, in the Seattle School District as a teacher, I believe. Um, but again, we aren't perfect people. And we worked with one another and God was patient with her, God was patient with me. Next person is Tosh, who did children's ministry, we was a volunteer staff, um, did a lot of like outreach type things um, and fun things and as a couple, they opened their house a lot, of, a lot, were very hospitable and we ate good food. Um, John, was good. He did those coffee tables outside and put up the lights in the cafe, um, stuff like that. And they, she, they're now in Canada. She's going in the full, she's in full-time seminary, McMaster's seminary. Um, I thought I had another picture, but, oh yeah, that first one, back to the first one. I didn't explain that second one, right? Nathan Cedar, uh, he was our worship, part-time worship director, our first hire. Our actual, like, we're paying this person. <laughs> that was our first hire. Great guy, really, like, chill, like, music, musician guy. Um, and then Erica came in as worship director. So how does this all tie in? In my reflection, I think in this passage, I see myself and my journey and growth as a leader and a pastor as the man in the cot, right? Like that God was so gracious to me that even when I was raw and I was like, man, I'm gonna, I can church plant. I don't want to be anyone, no one's going to be, I'm going to be my own boss when I church plant. Like, I don't have to go through the children's director, youth director, like, rise up these, like, do these little jobs. I'm going to just, my vision and let's, let's roll. But I was really raw. Like, what do I know about dealing with people? Or what do I know about dealing in, in t with teams or partners? You know, I'm good at people who are like me, but uh, am I good at, with people uh, that aren't like me? Or what am I like in conflict? What am I like when there's disagreement? Like all of these things. 
And yet, right, God was patient. God used people in my life who were amazing people and patient people for us to be a part of one another's training, one another's healing, one another's transformation on the, on the journey. And we're all still journeying. And it blows me away that God would be like, oh, I want, I'm calling you to pastor Renew Covenant Church. Yes, this is the right place to be. And yet to be so aware <laughs> of my shortcomings or aware of how messed up I am, right? God put people, God is putting people, and God is doing that for each of you. Like, it's not about you, but it is about you. And uh, <laughs> that's what I kept telling myself, like, how much should I share in this sermon? And it's like, I don't want it to be about me. But it, it has been about me. And at the same time, God is being glorified through us, through this church and this place. So um, I encourage you um, to stand in awe and wonder and awe as these people did of, at God doing impossible things around you and in you and step into with courage the possibility of failure um, and trust that God will carry you through. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you that through Jesus there's power to heal and authority to forgive sins and Help us not to be the fearful or crotchety people who have a, a small vision of what you can do, but expand our picture, expand our dreams, expand uh, the possibilities before us. Make us a people of wonder and awe at what you're going to do in us, through us, around us, tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.